Welcome to Awakenings, Testimonies of Faith and Conversion. I'm Father Stephen Park. I'm an Augustinian uh, friar based in Clare Priory near Cambridge uh, and delighted to uh, be starting off this new series of Awakenings, uh, Testimonies of Faith. Uh, our first guest in this uh, series is Sister Rose Rowling. Uh, she's a Dominican uh, sister, a novice with the English Dominican Congregation of St. Catherine of Siena, based in Cambridge. And she'll be giving us uh, a little bit about her, her life and conversion. Uh, and I'm, I'm very, very happy to be uh, listening to that. Uh, it's, it's a very inspiring story. So, Sister, uh, over to you. Uh, thank you for joining us for this broadcast. And um, perhaps you'd like to just give us a little brief summary of um, your, your initial uh, life as a, as a young person. Thank you. It's really such a pleasure to be with you. And um, I always think it's such a, a gift, really, to be able to share my own story as a Christian, because I think it's at these moments of sharing that um, I come back to my own story and I see God's movement and God's grace. Um, and it's something I just, just to start with, I, I really encourage our listeners to do, to perhaps write your story, you know, write your faith autobiography uh, so that you can see the power of God in your life. And the more that we know our own story, the more we can get to know how God has guided us and the more we can get to know ourselves. I think it's a really powerful thing because the Christian message ultimately is an encounter with a person. And we need to really know ourselves and know our story in order to share it and bring that good news to others. Yes, that's right. So thank you. So thank you. It's such a pleasure to join you. Um, and I'll try to kind of put this into some kind of coherent uh, narrative so, yeah. uh, so I can share it um, better. But I suppose um, just a bit about uh, my, my background, really. Um, my mother was... Um, kind of had a loose belief in Christianity, um, but wasn't attending a church when I, when I was born. Um, and she, she kind of spent some time thinking about if I should be baptised or where I should be baptised. Um, she had relations, some were Catholic, some were Anglican. So I think there was a bit of a feeling of being torn and, and which church and, and things like that. So it was a hard... Um, kind of decision to summon for her about my baptism. Um, but I was eventually baptised when I was two, and I was baptised in the Church of England. Um, and we we went to church uh, sometimes when I was very young, and I remember very little of that. Um, we went to an Anglican church, but we stopped going um, again when I was very young, perhaps maybe five or six. Um, and I really had no contact with church um, after that. Um, but I did always have this kind of basic general belief in God and a kind of general belief in Christianity for, for as long as I can remember. But I really had no contact with any church at all. Um, so I seemed to have this kind of natural religious intuition. And I didn't really, if you had asked me, I didn't really know what it meant to have faith or I didn't really know anything about God or Jesus um but i had this sense of okay there is something up there <laughs> yes. i don't know what it is but but i sort of believe in that so i had that basic yeah. intuition in me from a did, young age did you go to a, a state school or to a, a christian school uh, as I a went, young 
Mm, I went to a state school. Yeah. Um, just a real, you know, state comprehensive. Mm -hmm. Um, and the only contact I had there really with the church was just RE lessons where we did world religion. Um, yeah. and we did a bit about Christianity. Yeah. But that was it, really. Mm. Um. Uh, but but what was interesting, I think, in this stage of my life, this kind of pre-Catholic stage, was that I have several quite powerful memories, um, which have always stayed with me. So, so I remember um, when I was very young, I, I don't know how old I was, but I remember praying very intensely to God, um, just being in the dining room, kind of like kneeling on the floor and praying intensely to God. Um, so that always sticks with me and i remember being very young and sitting in my bedroom i had like a little window seat in my bedroom and gazing at this sunset and again having this amazing experience that god knew me and god loved me um and and as i as i got older um and i went to secondary school um i i remember being in a re class um, and just somehow just looking at the back, we had like a display board about Christianity and it mm. had some things about Roman Catholicism, which I really had no idea about. But I just looked at this RE board and I thought, I'm going to be a Catholic one day. Goodness. And I had no, no idea where that came from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just left it. I was about 12 and I just left it. And then I have another significant memory where I remember asking my mother for uh, some rosary beads. And again, I had no idea what a rosary was, you know, <laughs> but but I just had this, I think I saw one in a jeweler shop, like a very expensive set of rosary beads. Yes. And I didn't know what they were, but I said to my mother, you know, I really want some of those. And I, I didn't know really what that was, but, yes. but that was my very early memories, um, that these kind of significant little glimpses of God were there in any, that moment. Were, were there any Christian friends that you made at that time that you were aware of who, who, who professed Christianity or, or was was just basically a, a secular environment that you found yourself in in school? It was really a secular environment. So I didn't have any Christian friends. Um, I, I, yeah, we weren't in a church. My mother wasn't associating with Christians. Um, it was completely just kind of secularised, working class British life. Mm. Um, so... I, I don't know. I, I yeah. These so these experiences. I don't know where they came from. It was it was like having these very concrete senses of God and, and not really understanding. But um, it wasn't really in my environment at all. Yeah, and I guess that you wouldn't be speaking about them to anyone really. That they would be private, personal to you really, and uh, yes. not to be shared. Uh, really, that, that people wouldn't understand in any case. I guess. Yeah, and I didn't really understand. And I, you know, they stick in my mind as really strong encounters, but mm. I didn't really think much of them. Yeah. So it was just, oh, okay. And I, and I kind of, I didn't think much more of it. So, um, yeah, I'm just wondering. You, you had an idea uh, that you'd like to become a Catholic at some point. Uh, that this was a kind of it sounds to me like a vague notion, but it was there. It was, it was quite mm. strong. Uh, um. And at some point you, you started to uh, go in that direction, put it that way. Yes, yes. You know, it's funny when I when I think about that memory, it's almost like I could see my future in some way, hmm. you know, because I had such a sense of 
I will be Catholic, but you know, not yet. <laughs> so, so, and I didn't, I, you know, I didn't push it. I just thought, oh yeah, okay. That's somehow talking to me about my future. Yeah. But, um, so that was when I was 12. And then when I was, um, when I was 15, so, so as a child, generally, I was always curious, always mm. interested in everything, curious, loved books, loved knowledge, loved, you know, experiencing life, always talking to all kinds of people. So I had this real thirst um, for truth. I would say that's also very strong as a theme in my life. I was always searching for truth. And I had a very concrete sense that there was a truth. Yes. And I also knew that when I found it, I would just know. So I, so I was reading ideas all the time, all kinds of ideas, philosophy and world religion and politics and science, and I loved all of it. And I just had this sense, when I really find that thing that is the concrete truth, that, that truth I'm searching for, I'll just know. So, and yes. I was convicted of that. Yes. So... Um, so I so I was very interested all through my life of different things. But as a teenager, this really started to kind of crystallize. Um, and I remember um, going to my local library because I lived in the public library, really. And I found a book on the Catholic saints. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I took this home and I was completely fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. Like these people who had extraordinary stories great works great testimony I was just taken and I think because I've always been interested in people so seeing stories of other human beings who had experienced God who had go on who had gone on to do great things I was just captivated yes. and I think that also stuck with me and I mem remember writing down all of my favorite saints out of this book and then just returning the book to the library and again didn't think much more of it yes and then just later on, at the age of 16, I remember it was almost, the only way I can only think of it is like waking up after a dream and having this great conviction that I needed to find a Catholic church. Yeah. So this was about a year on from, these, from, from my encounter with this book. And I just had this sense of, I just need to find a Catholic church, you know? So I was living in a village where in Cornwall, that's where I'm from. And and there was no Catholic church. So I, so I asked my mother, you know, well, where could I find one? And she told me and I had I walked in to the nearest town. It was a few miles away and I found the Catholic church and um, it, there was a notice board, like one of those old fashioned wooden notice boards outside yeah. because the church was locked. There was nobody there. But I found on this notice board, it had the number of the parish priest written on it. Yes. So I, I took it down on my mobile and I went back to my house and I called him and I just said, you know, um, Father, you know, my name and uh, and I think I want to be a Catholic, really having no idea <laughs> what that meant. But but I had just had this strong sense. And so he said, oh, well, OK, we'll come for a cup of tea, you know, in the general way that priests do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and and that kind of started it off, really, started this long journey of coming into the church um, and this conversation with my with my priest. Um, and so I started, I met with him a few times and I started attending mass. And I remember going to my first mass and being completely confused by what was going on. Yeah. Um, 
but also I remember I cried in my first mass um, mm. and I didn't know why I cried, but I was so touched. So, you know, I spent my whole life feeling like I was searching, feeling yes. like I was missing something. And I came into to see mass, to hear mass. And it was it was kind of painful because I was like, wow, you know, maybe this is it. So it, it just moved me. And I think I went the second time and I also cried. So there was something about the mass which was completely touching to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I started um, the RCIA, which is the official process you, you go through as an adult convert into the yeah. church. Um, so that started off... Um, that journey so so I like to see the kind of the first part of this journey the pre-catholic side just before RCIA I, I you know I, I always think to try to find my story within the gospel yes. like what which part was I living and the one that sticks out to me is the parable of the lost queen yeah. so I always think about that woman who's kind of tearing the house inside and out looking for this precious queen and I really feel that was the that was that's the story that I was living in those first 16 years of my life of this determination to well, where is it? Where is the treasure? I know it's here. Um, so that's the story I think I was in. Wonderful. In the first part. Wonderful. I think this will be a good point at which we'll just have a short break and then we'll, we'll continue. Yeah. Thank you, Sister Rose. That's uh, absolutely fascinating. I'd like to make a couple of comments. Uh, one oh. is I, I was uh, brought up in a kind of traditional uh, uh, Catholic family in Glasgow. Uh, my parents were from Eastern Europe. My mother was Polish and my dad Ukrainian. We were very Catholic. You know, we said the rosary in the house and uh, went to mass every week. And uh, I found the mass the most boring thing on earth as a child. <laughs> I mean, I really, you know, I really couldn't yeah. wait to get uh, away from it. Uh, I, and uh, I, I thought at times, could I rebel and say to my dad, I'm not going? But I thought that'd cause too much trouble. So I went uh, to Mass every week uh, faithfully. And actually, I did that even at, at, at a time when I had lost my, my faith in God, really. Uh, but I was still, I was a cultural Catholic. Uh, so I was interested to hear that your experience of Mass, uh, which was akin to my own experience of Mass after my conversion. 
that um, it started then I could see the the, the meaning of it uh, and uh, yeah yeah I would be crying all the time uh, <laughs> and uh, that sort of thing but the other um, it's very unusual I think for a, a young uh, girl for, coming from a, a, a non-Catholic background uh, to just to wander into the Catholic faith I mean you're obviously um, guided in that way the only time I, 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 I experienced that was a, a young girl in our um, congregation in Edinburgh. She, as a young teenager, she came from a, a, a non-practicing Protestant background and she started to come to our church. We don't know why, but she did. And she asked her mother if she could continue to, to do and the mother said, yeah, that's fine. Uh, and she used to come along with her pals. Uh, there'd be about four giggling teenagers sitting in the congregation and it was it was wonderful actually watching that you know and watching God working in his mysterious ways uh, and and so on anyway that that was just a couple of comments on on what uh, that came to mind and what you were saying so you you were really you were you went into the RCIA the right of Christian initiation for adults uh, big mouthful and um that was um I'm very conscious of the fact you said you were you were really searching, intellectually mm-hmm. searching. You were asking questions. You were wanting to find the truth. And I I, I wonder if if that process was helpful or or, or not. I, I have friends have gone through it, and some have found it helpful. Some have found it not helpful at all. Uh, if you'd like to just give us some uh, notion of how you how you got on at that point. Thank you. Yes. Um. So I started RCIA um, and <laughs> it's quite funny, really. Um, I had a wonderful parish priest and I was in a group with four other women, all, all much older than me, um, kind of, yeah, middle, middle age, really. Um, and I remember going to RCIA and every time I went, I was so angry at everything I had. <laughs> like I was just fuming I would come out and I was in such a bad mood and and I (laughs) I don't know exactly what was the emotional reaction but it was kind of um going to class and hearing all of the teachings of the church and I was like this is completely crazy Mm. you know who believes this (laughs) and like you know and then just hit it was so different from anything I'd ever heard that I just I had such a a strong reaction because it it was like it was so difficult for me to understand like you know the beliefs of faith and ethics so um it was a really challenging process and um and I was wrangling all the time with all these ideas and all the ideas that I've encountered in my life of searching so I had so many thoughts from different places, my whole experience growing up in a completely secular environment, and then hearing all of this Catholic teaching every week, um, and it being so jarring and so challenging. Mm. Um, And so I came away always with like a lot of questions, a lot of kind of, oh, how how does this make sense? Um, And and actually, uh, so the RCIA, so I started in September, and the general custom if you do that is to be received at the Easter Vigil. Yes. And because I was really kind of still struggling so much with these ideas, I said to my parish priest, I can't do it. Yeah. Not yet. I just I just can't. It's not 
something i haven't got that clarity i haven't got that conviction with all that i'm hearing and so out of my group i was the one that didn't go forward and i actually took a much longer time i i continued my intense wrestling and searching and i didn't actually be um i wasn't received into the church until november of that year november 22nd um so i had that much longer time which i felt i needed because i really you know it's always been because the truth is so important to me i won't do something if i'm not genuinely convicted yes so um i just said you know put a break on it let me just wrestle and um and see but but in that time in those months um I really um, continue to search. I would say in the end, my my kind of, I call this my first conversion, that it was an intellectual conversion. Um, it was very painful, you know, mm. the idea of conversion of metanoia, literally a, a change of mind. Yeah. I had to, it feels like I had to kind of rewire my brain. Yeah. Um, everything that I, kind of how I viewed the world, how I behaved in the world, it all had to change. And that was very difficult. But eventually I got there and and all of that conflict and that searching and that kind of identity crisis really um, came kind of to a head. And eventually I made that decision and I was received into the church um, November 22nd, 2010. Um, And uh, on the feast of St. Cecilia, and I took the name of Saint Rita of Kasha. She became my confirmation saint. Well done. We, we are very fond of Saint Rita being Augustinians. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, she's yeah. one of yours. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm very t- taken by the, the, the kind of intellectual struggle you went through. I went through a similar. I came to a place where I realised that my secular thinking was there was something wrong with it. I didn't know what was wrong with it, but I knew it was wrong uh, because it hadn't taken me into a good place. And I put my belief system on question marks. I just put a whole series of question marks on, what, on the things I believed and started to read and read and read, trying to find, I just wanted to find the truth, uh, yeah. as you did. Uh, C.S. Lewis was very helpful to me at that point. Uh, he, he, he was an um, Anglican, but um, his, his um, take on Christianity and Christian things were, were, were very clear, and I, I loved his approach. But anyway, sorry, that's, uh, I've stopped talking about me. <laughs> No, it's really interesting. Yeah. And it's difficult, you know, I think, especially, I mean, for me, I was a teenager. So you're also going through all of the difficulties of just being a a normal teenage human being and, um, you know, trying to find your identity and really work out who you are and what you believe. And then kind of having this, uh, this conversion experience in the middle, it just intensifies that all the Mm. more. And, and, you know, not wanting to kind of, you know, I felt, called by god into this place and yet i also didn't want to be the weird religious kid you know <laughs> like yeah, i yeah, wanted yeah. to fit in and <laughs> and my friends never knew me as a religious person no. you know so for them it was kind of well, what's she doing like what's going yeah. on with her you know so so that intensified all of that as well did you have any career ideas about what you wanted to do at that point uh, at all not really. Um, I I loved the study. I ended up studying philosophy as part of my A-levels. Uh-huh. And because it's, you know, a subject of searching and questioning, I was so gripped. And all I really knew was that I needed to study philosophy yeah. and um, and see where that took me. Mm. Um, so so that was um that side that the kind of intellectual side of things but but interestingly so i so i became a catholic when i was um, 17 i was received when i was 17 in the end um and um 
well just before that okay so this kind of answers your question but just before that when I was going through all of this kind of questioning and wrangling I had another strong experience again being in my bedroom and looking out of my bedroom window just kind of cold winter day and I, I had this sense that I wanted to be a nun right and I wasn't a Catholic and I remember saying to myself oh, you know if I want to be a nun, I'm going to have to be a Catholic. <laughs> and it's funny because I was more convicted about being a nun than being a Catholic. Yeah, It's just it's so strange to me to <laughs> yeah, say yeah. it. But yeah. I thought, no, I could, again, it was like I could see my future. Like, mm, I need to be that. But, you know, this Catholic thing, like, gosh, how am I going to sort that out? <laughs> but, it, but I had that very strong experience. Um, and again, the kind of, uh, so I was received in November and then the Easter vigil, the April after, that was the moment that really crystallized this sense of vocation for me. I remember being at the Easter vigil and having such a powerful sense of the Holy Spirit and that being a moment of, I felt like I was called to religious life in that moment. Yeah. So so, so really from that point, um, and I just started my A-levels, but at that point I was kind of thinking religious life you know i want to be in religious life yeah yeah um you you, you remind me in some of the things you're saying about both uh, scott han and c.s lewis uh, both of whom uh, had uh, experiences of, of of transitioning um c.s lewis uh, was a, a philosophical in, in in his approach and uh, he, he was agnostic for many years uh, and then um, he said he, at one point he got on a bus and he, he was not a believer in God. And by the time he got off the bus, he did believe in God. And yeah. it, it, it kind of worked out intellectually uh, mm -hmm. that there was a God. And he said that he went home and he sat in his room and he, he was the most miserable person you could imagine on the earth because he realised that at that point that he now believed in God, his life would have to change. He'd have to start uh, doing things according to the way God wants things done rather than the way he wanted it done he was and he was quite depressed about the whole situation yeah. um yeah and and um thinking of scott han as well he was a, a protestant pastor i think a baptist and he moved he he was married at the time and he moved uh, into the catholic church uh, through his study of the bible really he, he did it through biblical studies and and uh, he became a catholic uh, his wife at that point didn't and they were both passionate Christians, they weren't sort of uh, uh, easy, ozy kind of Christians, they were passionate uh, and that was, a, that was a big problem and it took a lot of courage I think eventually his wife also uh, became Catholic but that was some time later uh, and I, I'm just thinking about the, the courage to walk, step into the uh, unknown really and, and you'd be doing a bit of that stepping into the unknown as well, not knowing where you were what specifically uh, you were called to, but but going in that kind of general direction. Yeah, and I think it's it's good. You know, I always think it's worth also highlighting things like you know it is difficult and um and highlighting that you know faith to to convert it is costly. You know, it's yeah. and our culture does not make it easy. No. So um and I think it's worth kind of saying that and being and being honest and um you know just saying the real kind of cost that that it can bring 
but also you know the the enormous blessing of it um but just kind of not bypassing that stage of yeah like you know it, it is hard it, it is difficult um but um yeah and and i guess to kind of um talking about cost as well <laughs> um the, again if i look at the story what was the story of the gospel that i was living in this kind of next stage of my initial years coming into the church um the the pearl of great price is the one that stands out for me yeah. um that's you know finally i found my treasure and i really at this point you know faith was the most precious thing in my life yeah. and at that point it was you know what i want to give everything and and probably that's where the 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 initial thoughts um, of religious life came from us right i'm in this now i just want to give god everything um and the other story that's important for me in this this stage is the finding of jesus in the temple so after all these years of searching you know looking for where is the lord you know where yeah. is he yep. finally i found him you know i found my lord i found my teacher because teaching you know that was kind of in the end is what won me was being able to have that intellectual renewal um from jesus the teacher you know jesus the lawgiver and mm. um, so that's the other story that becomes very important where i can see he was leading me where i was living it in my own experience at this time yeah and so uh, underlying this you, you had an idea that you wanted to become a nun uh, yes. at, that, at that point but I, I guess you didn't know what kind of nun or or you know exactly which direction to go in so i presume that you looked around a bit uh, i don't know yes. if you see something yeah yeah absolutely so um so you're absolutely right uh, again kind of really no idea about the mm. differences between religious orders or what they were or different types of sisters hadn't a clue um but uh being you know a millennial typically i just went onto the internet and i googled convents yeah and um the one that was closest to me at the time was a poor clare monastery in devon yeah. in linton um so i just decided i just you know contacted them and decided to go for a week so the poor clares are an enclosed community so they're yeah. monastic they yeah. don't engage um with the outside world yeah, like with active work um yeah yeah and uh i had a, a very powerful week like a, such a powerful community staying with them um and actually what's as a side story here what's interesting is that my mother took me to the monastery um my mother who wasn't catholic you know at this time um and on my final um evening there my uh, my mother came to pick me up to take me back home and one of the sisters invited her in to come for Vespers evening prayer mm. just before I was going to leave. And her name was Sister Maximilian. And um, my mother thought, well, OK, I'll, I'll come. And she was so moved by seeing the sisters praying yeah. and so moved by the kindness of Sister Maximilian that only, a, I think it was about a couple of years later, my mother ended up becoming a Catholic as well. Goodness. <laughs> and she actually took the name Maximilian after yeah. Sister Maximilian, who she had met. And and also, you know, Saint Maximilian is the great saint who laid down his life for another person. Yes. Um. 
so so that was how my mother ended up coming into the church and i always really tell people this story as well because you know i belong to the order of preachers and so we go out when you know, we're loud we proclaim the gospel we're out there yeah. but i always come back to this fact that my mother was converted not by a preacher not by somebody being you know loud and out there she mm. was converted by the testimony of an enclosed poor nun yeah. and that's so powerful and so many times we don't know the effect we have on people it can be the 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 kind of seemingly poorest or most hidden people that actually bring people to faith so mm-hmm. yeah so I, I always you know god bless that sister for her witness and her life and her testimony yeah yeah um so that was the poor Claire's and and i went home um and then i went ended up when i was 18 uh, going on a study week so because again i was so interested in theology it was a study week run by dominicans friars yes. and sisters and it was at Buckfast Abbey, which is a Benedictine monastery. And I really just went because I was interested in theology and wanted to know about it and stay there yeah. for a week. Yeah. But that's where I met the Dominicans. So mm. I met them when I was 18. And I felt like these are my people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had this kind of instinctive sense of, oh, like I know these people. Like that's me. Mm. <laughs> Um, so I met them when I was 18 and then really throughout the rest of my life, my student years, my life as a young professional, I always had Dominicans somewhere in my life. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, Dominicans are everywhere. (laughs) They really are. So they were always there, but that was the time I first met them. And I just felt like, obviously I'm a Dominican, like if I'm anything, you know, um, so that just seemed the most kind of natural, intuitive a place in terms of religious orders for me. Mm. That's that's quite a, a useful place to find oneself because uh, I, I think that we can um, uh, just float about and I, and I meet people who are who are floating. They're, 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 they 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 have some sense, uh, a vague sense of God calling, but they're not they're not focused and to to get into a a, a place where you you know that's that's where. Uh, you're heading. That's that, that's much more useful. What happened next? You 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 were going through your school period mm. at this point, and I presume you yeah. finished your exams, whatever else. I am not quite sure what, what you were. Yeah, yeah. So um, well, I went off to. So I was eighteen, um, and then I started university after this summer study school. Um, and I went off. I studied philosophy and theology, yeah. and um, I lived in a, a Catholic student lay community called Benedict the Sixteenth House named after the pope at the time Um, and that was really such a blessing such a beautiful experience and gave me the experience of living in a an intentional catholic community i was there for two years where where was Um, that that was in twickenham so i studied at saint mary's in twickenham um and that was such a a kind of holding experience of of get it of living with other young catholics really passionate about their faith Mm. and that was an important um experience i think uh, to to live closely and intentionally with other young catholics so that really held me um through my student years and and i was quite involved um with the catholic society with the chaplaincy so that was a blessing yep. but i think really the next um big chapter um kind of comes um when i joined the zion community uh-huh. so um yeah so so i graduated university i i went um i worked um in the world for a while um 
I work for an MP. But, you know, this kind of desire for community life, for yeah. religious life, it just would not leave me. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do? So um, I ended up studying for a master's, first of all, um, at St. Mary's. Uh, again, I studied bioethics. Mm -hmm. And then I decided, okay, I, I need a more intentional, um, Christ-focused form of life. So the next kind of major thing comes when I joined the Zion community. And um, I joined their hospitality team. So um, this, they have a retreat center in Brentwood. Yep. Um, the, Zion, by the way, they're a Catholic, charismatic uh, lay community. Yes. Um, they they had a retreat house in Brentwood. So I joined there as part of the team. And we helped to facilitate retreats, to do the practical work, um, to pray, to live in community. Mm. So it was quite a monastic lifestyle in many ways. Yep. Um, just prayer, community, manual work. Um, and my my decision to join was also very spontaneous. You know, I I, I had no experience of charismatic renewal, nothing yeah. like that. Um, I just went for a, saw, again, saw them online, being mm -hmm. a millennial, Google, Google communities, found them online, went to visit them, visited for the weekend and said, okay, well, I'll join this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. was it. You weren't, you weren't scared off by the charismatic side of things? or No, you know, no, not at all. And, uh, you know, and I remember them saying to me before I even went, so, you know, oh, we are quite charismatic. And I thought, well, I've never experienced that. But yeah. whatever, you know, I, I'm open. Like I am. I'm always open, really. So, mm. um, and I thought, fine, okay, great. So I just jumped right in, really. Um, so I was with them. Um, and this was such an incredible transformative experience and i call this part of my life my second conversion mm. really because again it's a very strong before and after moment in my life just as my coming into the church was a very strong before and after period so was this um and it was transformative i think just because of the experience of such a a loving community mm. um and people that were just really completely given over to God, who had, who had left everything in the world, who had no real kind of security, who had not, who were not even kind of, you know, of an official status in the church, you know, they weren't religious, they didn't have the benefits of having a title and a status in the church. They were just really intentional disciples. Mm -hmm. And seeing that just was so inspiring. Um, and I had, again, some very key moments key experiences during my time with zion yeah that, that's uh, i had a similar experience i, I it's soon after my own conversion i joined a, a charismatic community in glasgow called the community of the risen christ uh, okay. and that was a fabulous uh, training course for me uh, i mean the, the, really i learned so much about uh, Catholic Christianity uh, through that community and also expanded my the, the charismatic side I'd never experienced before uh, it kind of blew me away uh, a little bit scary to start with but I loved it on uh -huh. uh, um, that point I think we'll, we'll maybe have a, a short break and then we'll, we'll continue with the next bit Great
So we have Sister Rose Rowling here uh, giving us a short uh, um, story about her own walk uh, to religious life. So I think that we finished with you. You had joined the Scion community uh, and um, that would have been a very rich experience, I guess, you know, if, for you. Uh, and um, it, you, you talked about it was quite a mon- monastic setting, really. You were, uh, but at the same time, I know the Scion community is very active in, in, in ministry and they go out. And I presume you went out with them to to whatever schools and parishes and different places. Was that part of? Well, so, yeah. So, so they're kind of uh, in my time in Zion. There are two kind of ways of being um, of, of being with community. Yeah. Um, so they had the the mission team, which went out um, and and basically preached the gospel, evangelizing schools and parishes across the UK. Um, and then there was the hospitality team who were really based at the retreat center and lived this more kind of monastic life of prayer, community and manual work. Right. Um, so that's what I lived. Um, so I didn't go out oh, on mission. Right. Okay. No, no, I wanted this more, um, yeah, a life of just kind of quiet service at the time. And I think, to be honest with you, that's also why it was so transformative for mm. me is because, um, again, as the monastics have always kind of pointed out, um, mo- manual work especially um, allows a kind of deep processing um, of the heart, of the mind. Yes. Um, it allows you in some, I don't really understand it, I, I just believe it, it allows God to work um, on that deeper level. And, and I think it was transformative because it just gave me a space. You know, I've been a very intellectual person and to actually get out of my mind, get into my body and give God just a real free space to work, to not, you know, where I'm not overthinking and analyzing and controlling. I think that's why it was transformative. And so I didn't really want the outside engagement okay. at the okay. time. How long um, were you? How long were you with the sign community? How long did you spend there? So I was with them for a year, right. um, and and in that year again, I had some very powerful um, experiences. Um, I had uh, two things that they run every year are their retreats for women. So there's one called Beloved, mm-hmm. and one called Desired. Yeah, um, and it comes from the Song of Songs, um, a verse from from the songs which says, um, "I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me." And yes. they've developed two retreats for women based on this. And the desired retreat in particular was so transformative. Just just this sense that God desires me. Yes. You know, he desires me, all that I am, all that I can be as a woman. It was so powerful. And after that, you know, it really brought something alive, a real creative energy inside of me. Mm. Um, and the other thing that was really powerful was um, something called Unbound Prayer Ministry. Yes. Um, which is kind of Zion have, have launched it in the UK, but it's really a way of um, repentance and forgiveness and healing. Yeah. And I started going through the unbound process and that was so powerful, so healing. Um, and again, just got to a lot of those deeper roots that, that I think I think often as converts come into the church, you know, we just kind of put them into a process and we sacramentalize. But all the baggage you bring is not dealt with too often. And for me, this was the place where all of the stuff 
could be processed, could be worked through. And it, mm. and again, it was so powerful because of that. Um, and, like, and the story that I really, you know, going back to the Gospels that I feel with them that I was living was the raising of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. And that was my story in this moment was the Lord saying, unbind him, let him go, you know, get through all of the, the deep inner work. Um, and it started me really on that. Um, and the other story that's important in this is was the parable of the sower, because I really feel Zion enabled me to start cultivating the good soil. They gave me the tools that I needed to till up that earth, that rocky soil, all the things that were obstacles and obstructions. They started tilling it with me, you know, the soil of the hearts, the garden of the hearts. So, so that was so important for them being able to go on and to join religious life, really. Because again, yes. I think often coming into religious life, we, people come in with all kinds of different types of soil, <laughs> if yeah. you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you need that. You want that kind of rich, deep, fertile ground in order for God's grace to be able to penetrate and for, for that to be able to um, kind of work and, and for your vocation to be given a chance, I think. Yeah. So, so I owe them, you know, a lot for that, for the beginning of that. Yeah. And so during this time, you were also in the background, you were looking at what next, I, I take it, you know, wh- yes. where, where were you, where, where were you heading and how did that, how did that proceed? Yeah, well, I, as I say, I wanted to be in religious life for a long time. And, and I had all these, again, a huge wrestling of I want it and I don't want it. You know, I quite like being in the world and having money mm-hmm. and wearing makeup. And, you know, I loved all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really it's like the deeper desire. So um, so being in Zion, being with this powerful community of intentional disciples, having started this inner work, you know, the tilling of the soil and the unbound ministry. And I thought, okay, look, fact is, I need to focus myself, I need to do something about this sense of call. Yes. And I go back to that first beginning, my first encounter with the Dominicans when I was 18. And and again, it was instinctual, I thought, well, if I'm going to be anything, I'm going to be a Dominican. So I I found the the community I'm in, again, I I found them online. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, okay, so why don't I just go and see? And I started visiting them um, about once a month. Yeah. And um, just it it just seemed to me in the end, after, again, going through a long discernment process, um, I thought, you know what, why not take the leap and try? Um, and um, the story that I was living in my discernment year, because again, it, it wasn't easy, was the rich young man. Yeah. I was always coming back to that story of this young man going to the Lord and saying, you know, Lord, like, what what, what do I need for eternal life? And him saying, well, give all you own and follow me. Mm. And I I looked at that story with fear because I thought, I feel called by God, but I feel so attached to, to, to money, to things in the world, mm. to things I want. But I also, I didn't want to be like the rich young man and go away sad yeah. because I knew that the Lord had a call. Um, and so I sat with that story. I kept coming back to that story throughout. Um, and in the end, I feel like, you know, I made good where he didn't, you know, I mm. took the leap and, and I joined the convent um, and I was closed on uh, October 1st, 2010. Um, and I chose the name Rose after St. Rose of Lima, yes. who had kind of 
presented herself to me in some way throughout my discernment. I felt like she walked with me. Mm. Um, so that's why I chose her name. Very good. Yeah. Um, I have found in my own journey that I, I was paralysed for about two years. I didn't do anything. I knew that that God was calling me to religious life and priesthood, but I, I, I just simply didn't. I, I was stuck. And, and I, God used various methods to unstick me, but it took a while. The fear, the fear is quite a, a large proportion of my journey in that in that sense. But uh, eventually, I I got unstuck and, and just jumped in. I think that that's part of the process. Eventually, you have to if you're going to make a move, you just have to jump in. You don't know where it's taking you. Uh, yeah. Um, it's so true. Yeah, absolutely. You never know where the Lord's going to take you. That is yeah. for sure. Yeah. So we're we're getting quite close to the end of the. I think we could talk for another hour easily. Uh, but yeah. uh, um, uh, how has things been since you you uh, started with the Dominicans? How, how have you found things? Yeah, it's you know I've I've learnt um, so much about myself um, and so much. It, it's it's. In this process, you know, so joining the, especially today, joining a convent, it again, it's so different um, from um, from the rest of the world, really. And again, I go back to my first conversion. When I first came into the church, I needed a change of mind. And when I came into the convent, I would say I needed to, or, or I have gone through that kind of second metanoia um, of needing a change of mind because the way that you live or you think in the convent is very different. You know, trying to live a self-sacrificial love and trying to live with people that maybe you're very different from, it takes that kind of deeper conversion of mind to understand, ah, okay, how does the other person see it? Or how can I love this person who, who isn't necessarily understandable to me? So throughout this, it's been a very intense process of getting to know my own self, my own weaknesses, my own shadow, um, better, and being able to kind of rest, I suppose, in the mercy of God and the mercy of the community while I go through this this journey. Um, and it's been a blessing also in that, you know, I've been living the life of Jesus, the teacher, really. Yes. Um, all the people I've encountered, um, you know, through preaching ministry, through teaching, um, I certainly never thought I would be on the radio, so that's mm. been a surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, but I just, it, it, you know, God has given me so much. Um, it's just been it, it's just been such an adventure, you know, such a journey. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it has been a transformative experience. I think there has been a lot of growth, um, and I just pray.
So we're starting back again. We Sister Rose has uh, rejoined us. Thank you. Yeah. So, so it's been a great, um, a great time of growth, really, in my own life, um, and a great time of. Um, I think the Lord has really led me deeper in many ways. Um, a time of kind of um, purification. So. Yeah. You know, I am, a, as you probably have seen now, I'm a person who likes to understand everything. Yeah. You know, I'm curious about everything I want to understand. And um, the downside with that can be a tendency to control. And so I think jumping into religious life, I've had to let a lot of that go. You know, yeah. I don't really understand why he's called me. I don't really understand what the future will hold. Um, but it's then having to, to not force that kind of omniscience a kind of trying to be all-knowing but to trust and I think too he's purified me um as you've also probably seen I had a lot of experiences of God um and the charismatic renewal um gave me very powerful experiences and a great sense of emotional satisfaction um and I think coming into a to the convent and to Dominican life I've had to let some of that go and I've had to walk more in faith um, and to not be so dependent on trying to seek the kind of spiritual highs or the spiritual goodies, um, which I think has forced me to go deeper and to rely much more just on him, on his words. Um, and, and I think that's all to the good. I, I think there's been a maturing for me yeah. in my faith in that. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you go through your desert periods. I mean, God puts you through that, and uh, it's not necessarily very pleasant. But uh, we start to understand better uh, what our life is is about. You're currently in novitiate. Is that a two year process? Uh, yes, yes, it is. Yeah. So that'll be finishing for you this year, and then you'll be moving into another phase of your your, your yes. life. Yeah. Yes, please God, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What would you, um, since we're nearing the end, if there's someone listening who who uh, is thinking about religious life in some form or other, but not quite sure, not quite there, what sort of advice would you give to that person? It's mm, a good uh, good question. Um, I think so. A few things come to me. One. Um, if you can find somebody that you trust to speak to, so like a spiritual director, um, a priest, a mentor, a good friend who's really pursuing God in their life, I think they can be a really helpful person to journey with as you try to work out what's going on for you mm. um, and to kind of trust them um, and, and, and speak with them about all that you're experiencing throughout this this time. Yep. And then I think be be curious, you know, be curious and be bold. So um, don't be afraid to just search, you know, learn about different religious orders, different communities. Yep. Um, don't be afraid to just contact them, ask for information, visit them. Because ultimately, because religious life is life, you know, you, you have to have that personal contact. You have to see it firsthand yeah. in order to get a sense and then also really tune in to your gut instinct. You know, mm. go deep into your belly. What does that tell you? Mm. So try, and I know I find it hard myself because I'm an intellectual person, but, you know, listen to your gut feeling because it could be that you go to a community and you feel right at home, but it's not what you imagined. So you kind of thought, oh, I thought I'd be something else mm. or 
Um, a bit like when I found Zion, I, I never in my life would have thought I'd end up in the, you know, I would have gone to a charismatic community. That's not an intellectual feeling. That's an instinctual one. Hmm. So tune into your gut feelings. Does it feel right? Does it not? What are you naturally drawn to? Where are your gifts? And and I think that will help really bring clarity and just really walk with the Lord every day, you know, pray, ask him, what are my gifts? What is my calling? What is my future? And everything is important in discernment. Yeah. You know, everything, everything has, everything matters. What are the words of scripture that speak to you? What are the experiences? Um, it, all of this comes together and, and the Lord reveals his pattern, his plan through all of this. So that's maybe a few things which, yeah, which no, may be helpful. It's great. Thank you very much, Sister Rose, uh, um, for sharing uh, a bit of your, your journey of your life. Uh, and uh, could we now... Uh, would you say a prayer for the listeners and for, for us all at this point and then, and then we'll, we'll finish the programme now. Yes, thank you very much. Father, I thank you for this time we've had together this morning. I thank you for all the sharing. I thank you, Father, for your great mercy, for all those you have drawn into your church and I pray that others may also be drawn in. Father, may you continue to strengthen our faith, strengthen the faith of all our listeners and all those who work on behalf of Radio Maria. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Keep us walking towards you that we may become united to you in heaven. Amen. Thank you, Sister Rose. Uh, the, the, Sister Rose Rowling on the Awakenings. Thank you. God bless you. God bless.